Well, welcome. Welcome to the second Sunday of Advent. Welcome to you, uh, those of you that are joining us online. If you're new to Community Covenant Church, my name is Greg, one of the pastors. And uh, I just wanted to say before we begin today that we really enjoy having the children in with us on Sundays. And we don't mind if it gets a little fussy. So I know parents are probably more worried about that than the rest of us, uh, but we don't mind that. Uh, it's good. You know what I think is so good about having the kids with us? It's good for the kids to watch mom and dad worship. Uh, you're their primary model, you're their primary discipler, and uh, I want to encourage you. I know you got to keep one eye open. The younger your kid is, or children are, the more you got to keep that one eye open, but uh, let them see you worship. That's one of the best things that we have going for us at this time. And then today, I just want to remind you, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the conclusion of the sermon. So for those of you at home, if you want to get the elements ready, we have some elements back there. You should have those with you by now. Some of you will know the name Joshua Bell. He's one of the world's premier violinists in this current cultural context. And a few years ago, he participated in a social and musical um, experience, experiment, I should say. He dressed down in jeans, a T-shirt, and a baseball cap, and he took his $3.5 million Stradivarius violin into the subway station in Washington, D.C., and he played for half an hour. You know what happened? Seven people in that half an hour stopped to listen to him, and they counted 1,070 people who just walked on by and didn't even notice that he was there. Oh, and he made $32 and some change there. And I think Advent is similar to this social experiment. Joshua Bell, that he participated in, the vast majority of people in our culture, in our society, are so busy with so many things, and especially our phones and whatever, we walk right past, we, we don't really stop to see and understand the implications of Advent. And so for the staff and the elders, it's been our prayer that we see the blessings of Advent, uh, Advent in a little deeper way. Remember in Ephesians, Paul's great prayer that I just love. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know what is the hope of his calling. And part of this Advent experience is for us to, take, to, to see it in a little deeper way, the reality of what Jesus Christ has done. I'd like to take uh, 60 seconds of silence, and I'll time it and then conclude with a prayer. The idea of the silence is just so that we can close our eyes, that we can quiet our heart and ask God to help us see some things that maybe we never saw before about Advent and about the text that we're in today. So I'll time us. Let's do one minute.
Kind Father, we come before you this morning. Most of us would admit that there are so many things about our faith that we don't quite understand. And Lord, we ask that you would open and enliven the eyes of our heart to see you, to see what you're up to, and to respond. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I notice we didn't read the text, did we? Did we? Yeah, we should do that, huh? It's Matthew chapter 1. Is that the New Testament? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighteen to twenty-five. I'm reading from uh, the New American Standard, I think. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows: When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, this would be Isaiah, 800 years before, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I want to take a little different tack on this passage today. I've titled this sermon divine interruption. Their lives obviously were interrupted, but then I was thinking about our lives, your life and my life, how our lives have been so interrupted this last year. And so let's see what we can learn from that. To say that our lives have been interrupted this year would be a major, major understatement. As we heard in the passage what was supposed to be this kind of blissful uh, betrothal with Mary and Joseph, their lives encountered this seismic interruption, and Mary became pregnant. We see in the text that Joseph was a kind-hearted man. The text even says he was a righteous man, who nevertheless made the decision to quietly end their engagement and to send her away until the angel showed up in his dream. 
It would be easy for those of us who labor to discern God's will to be a bit jealous of this uh, angelic intervention in Joseph's life. Is it possible for you and I to have the same access to God's wisdom and discernment in determining God's will for our lives? This is what I would like us to think about and focus on today. How interruptions can help to shape us for the next season of life. We want to make the best use of all the interruptions that we've endured. Sometimes, like Joseph, we react to life's interruptions instead of responding to them as opportunities. Our fear of what others might think will often dictate to us the actions and cause us to move maybe too swiftly and sometimes irrationally. Yet when our decisions are marked by humility and having experienced the love of God, I would put those two things together as essential. And if you hear anything that I say today, I think what I would want to say to us is let's stay humble. But also it's important for us to have experienced the love of God. When we're able to pause and see these extraordinary acts of God unfold, then our ordinary acts of of patient and responsive obedience can flourish. If we're not thoughtful, aware, and humble, some significant interruptions can send us down the wrong pathway. I don't have to tell you that this year has been filled with significant interruptions. Nationally, we've had this ongoing pandemic. We're in the midst of a a serious economic recession, some people feeling it more than others. Millions of American families are suffering from food insecurity, many of them for the very first time. We have this ongoing, what I've come to call, racial mindfulness, where we have this opportunity as a nation to consider ethnicity and race and how we can make life more equitable for everyone. There's different opinions about that out there. And then we have this intense political polarization. And then individually and as families, there's been a whole host of additional interruptions. Some of us are on the front lines, first responders, medical workers, teachers. I've heard repeatedly about teachers who have kids in the classroom and online, and how difficult that is. And then the uncertainty of knowing whether it's going to be online or in person. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Those are major interruptions. Grocery store workers. I went to go to the grocery store yesterday. It was like too crowded. I'm like, I'm not going in there. I went to a little mom and pop place. Bus drivers. People working at home trying to manage their kids, keep them focused and enthusiastic about school. Others have endured job loss, job furlough experiencing a friend or a relative who has died. 
And some people, perhaps, know people who have died alone. These are interruptions. As we look back on 2020, it would be good for each of us, I believe, to evaluate how we have dealt with this plethora of interruptions in our lives. I want to consider Joseph and Mary's significant interruption and then look specifically at Joseph's initial reaction and eventual response. I think I've mentioned before that I am a reactor and I am on a lifelong journey to become a responder. I haven't arrived, I've gotten a little better. Uh, sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, but that has been a passion of mine to become a responder instead of a reactor, which is my normal way of life. Joseph and Mary were betrothed to be married, and like the Christmas season that we're enjoying, betrothal was supposed to be this magical time. But as we know, it was this, during this time that the angel appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to conceive by the Holy Spirit, as the text says, and she would miraculously, as a virgin, conceive and give birth to the Son of God. On the one hand, that's certainly joyful news. That's generally how we take that, right? That's, that's awesome. But think about her. On the other hand, it was more than complicated. It was just filled with lots of unknown implications that was prob were probably racing through her mind. How would she explain her pregnancy to Joseph? Would he believe her? We know that initially he did not. Would he be willing to take responsibility? This was certainly not in their plans, right? And legally, you know, if word got out that she was pregnant, legally, according to the law, she could have been stoned. I'm sure that was in the back of both of their minds for committing adultery. And it would be a given that most people, or some people, if not most people, for the rest of her life, would view her as a harlot. That's something that she had to live with. And yet she accepted this, and she surrendered into it. And as I said initially, as we read the text, Joseph did not believe her. How could he? His plans to, to marry and have this happy home with the woman he loved were just simply dashed before his eyes. His life, as well as her life, had been powerfully and forever interrupted. If she was not careful, if we are not careful, we can react to interruptions in our lives instead of responding to them. If we stay in reaction mode, it can send us down the wrong path. Here's what we know. The key to handling significant interruptions is to step back and get God's perspective. Thankfully, God rescued Joseph from his calm and kind, yet reactive, decision. I imagine Joseph's sleep that night he found out was pretty restless. Having learned of Mary's situation, he, he likely went to bed tossed and turned for maybe most of the night. 
And then when he did fall asleep, managed to somehow, this angel of the Lord appears to him. I would say that the magnitude of that dream most likely awakened him, right? And it looks like he understood, began to understand what was going on. We don't know his, the state of his mind upon waking up. We can, he, we can assume he believed that the dream was from God. And there had been both belief along with some significant and then continuous apprehension. In the end, he did get to marry the woman that he loved, and yet there were these short-term as well as long-term implications of their lives. What the angel had told him. Yet nevertheless, he acquired God's perspective in this really significant interruption to their lives. When we encounter significant interruptions, it's important for us to respond, not according to our feelings, thoughts, limited perspective. I think we should keep Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 in mind as kind of a go-to verse. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways, and He will guide you in the right paths. Most of us here online have heard this verse before. You might think the same thing that I did when I first read the text. If every time that I had to make a really big decision in my life, if God sent an angel to me to tell me what to do, that would be kind of awesome. Wouldn't you like that? I, I remember in the decades that I've served as a, as a pastor, I can remember sitting in my office dozens and dozens of times with these important decisions looming for the elders, the staff, the churches. And, and my go-to thought is, God, if you would just slip a letter, a note under the door to tell us what to do, that would be fabulous. Wouldn't we all like that? I'm a little jealous that Joseph got to see and hear from an angel. The unfolding gospel does make provision for us to discern the will of God. And I want to consider some of that today. The gospel provision of the incarnation is that both wisdom and discernment are ours for the asking. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe it's time for a good reminder. But let's look at a couple of things. A couple of verses about wisdom as a gift from God for the believer. James says it well. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, Ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, without shaming, and it will be given. I love that. I love that. Ask God. But sometimes in those impetuous moments that we have, we don't take the time to step back, think and pray, 
reflect. We just make these snap decisions. And then a little later on in the letter that James wrote, verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And that phrase, meekness of wisdom, really jumped out to me in the last couple of weeks. For James, you see, wisdom was not merely intellectual. It was behavioral. Meekness was considered weakness by the Greeks, and we've talked about this from the Beatitudes. It's oftentimes considered weakness in our current cultural moment as well. But as we learned when we looked at the Beatitudes a little over a year ago, meekness comes not from cowardice, not from passivity, but rather by becoming humble learners. Remember in the Beatitudes, there's a, there's a descending and then an ascending. The, the first one is to acknowledge our spiritual poverty. And then we mourn over our own tendency towards sin and, and, and the sin of the, in the world system around us. And then meekness, where we become humble learners. And that's so important that that's where we stay. And then if you remember the Beatitudes, then it, 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 those three things give way to a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that captures our soul. The second, discernment, is also a gift from God for the believer. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's pretty heavy. It cuts deep. The Word of God cuts deep. One of my mentors said to me once, and I can't remember if I've mentioned this to you or not, but we often talk about it and think about, you know, I need to read the Bible, and we read the Bible. But what about letting the Bible read us? That's kind of a little different perspective, isn't it? Because when we read the Bible, we can pick and choose the things that seem cool or awesome to us and the things that we don't understand or the things that are likely to confront us in some way, we kind of just lay aside. But if we read the Bible or let the Bible read us, then that requires us to sometimes, oftentimes, deal with the more uncomfortable passages that are in there. Another verse, Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good from evil. Our senses are trained to discern good and evil. Training, practice, means that we fail sometimes. Think of learning how to ski or think of learning how to ride a bike. There's hours or days of practice. I remember learning how to ski over, and we, we moved to Tahoe years and years ago to help this friend start a church, and I thought I needed to learn how to ski. I think, if I remember right, it took me three days before I found that kind of balance so that I could, you know, move down the mountain just a little bit. Might have been two, 
but I think it might have been three, too. I don't know. But, you know, to find that equilibrium, it takes practice, and practice means that there's failure. Then 1 Kings 3.9. This passage is Solomon when he was a young man, a very young man, and became king of Israel. And this was a part of his prayer to God upon becoming king. This is what he said. This, this is what he prayed. He said, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? And maybe you know the story, maybe you don't, but God was so impressed with his humility that he made Solomon the wisest man in the world. And so we go back to that humble place of us staying humble is one of the critical issues for discerning the will of God. And then finally, Philippians 1, 9, and 10, Paul's praying for them. He says, and, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So we find out that we pray for discernment. You pray for me, I pray for you. We pray as a church, we pray for elders, we pray for staff, we pray for other ministry, there's community group facilitators. These verses provide us with some insight into how discernment will increase in our lives. We dig into God's Word. We let the Bible read us. We practice. One of my mentors said to me, knowing what not to do is just as good as knowing what to do. That brought me a lot of peace as we count things off. You know, that dog bites, right? Don't do that. Knowing what not to do is just as good as knowing what to do. That's the practice. We humble ourselves like Solomon did. And then we pray for it as Paul prayed for the church at Philippi. And again, you pray for me, I pray for you. We pray for our church, pray for our country, for discernment. And to articulate these thoughts, there's three quick kind of practical applications that I came up with to help us respond to interruptions instead of reacting to them. And it's kind of a review, but the first one is humble prayer. Again, there's that word humble again, humble prayer. The first thing to do when life is interrupted is to stop and seek the Lord. Pray for wisdom, pray for discernment, insight, understanding, guidance. Sometimes we need to pray for courage. And if this interruption is a conflict, the best place to start in a conflict is what can you own? Most conflicts are solved when, every, when people come to the table owning what they can own regarding the conflict. We've talked about that before. The second one is a holy perspective. Seek God's perspective for what the interruption can teach us and how it could grow us as a people. And again, I don't know if I've shared this with you, but here's a prayer that I pray, I could say regularly, I don't know if I could say often. And it's a little bit of a scary prayer. Here's the prayer, quick, it's quick and easy. Lord, as much as I am able to withstand, 
I want to see like you see, and I want to feel like you feel. I would challenge you to, on occasion, and make sure you're throwing that first part right, as much as I'm able to withstand, because if all of a sudden you saw what he sees and felt what he feels, we'd explode. And then finally, place your hope in God's providence. Another word for providence, of course, is sovereignty. Instill in your heart and in your mind that God in His sovereignty is in ultimate control of all things. Nothing can happen without the leave or the notice of God the Father. He's still counting every single hair on our head. For some of us, he kind of gave up, uh, but for most of you, he's still counting. He still pays that close of attention to who you are, what you're about, and he's, his calling upon your life. When we respond to interruptions instead of reacting to them, they can positively redirect our lives. This was true of Joseph and Mary. Their plans were interrupted in an oh-so-beautiful way, right? I don't know if I could imagine a more wonderful privilege. But then there's the other side of it too, right? There's a challenging responsibility for being the parents of the Son of God. The direction, their future, took what was not what they had counted on it was not without drama. It was not without significant pain. Remember, Mary watched her son get tortured and die on a cross. But it was much better than they could ever have dreamed it could be. That's why we need to pay attention to the interruptions in our life. Have you ever considered that God would do something similar in your life? Not that you would be made the parents of the Son of God, but that God would take what seems like an interruption to us or a series of interruptions, a host of interruptions, and use those to set your life and maybe our church on a whole new course for a whole new season of effective ministry. Whatever set of interruptions that you may be enduring right now, why not seek to see them in a little bit different light and ask God, how do you want to use this in my life for my good and for your glory? Instead of us complaining, which I'm prone to do, but to ask that question, how do you want to use this? How do you want to use these interruptions that we've endured this year to change our lives, to set us on a new course, to reveal things to us, some of which we don't really want to know? We've seen things about ourselves, maybe, I have, I'm not too happy with, not proud of necessarily. Whatever interruptions you may experience in this Christmas season, 
there's one thing that we can all do. We can stop and we can give thanks to God for sending His Son, Jesus. That's the very least we can do. But it requires us not to say it in passing as we're busy, but to stop and say thank you. Thank you for this. In the midst of these difficult circumstances, something of the peace and the the hope and the joy and the love of God regarding why Jesus came will bring us into a new place of responsiveness to God. When Jesus comes, He changes everything. I heard a church leader say that back in the 80s. I don't remember who said it, but he was talking about something. He said, if this is true, it changes everything. And we get faced with those kinds of challenges. The idea that when Jesus comes, it changes everything. There's a theologian that I've appreciated, Scottish theologian, named Sinclair Ferguson. And writing about this passage, he says this, until this point, Christ had changed nothing in Joseph's life. But from now on, Christ would change everything. And then he goes on to ask, I wonder if everything has been changed by Christ for you. If you're a believer here today online, I would invite you to surrender afresh to God's love and care. I would invite you to a lifestyle of humility before God and before one another. And if you're viewing today, here today, or online, and you're not a believer, I think that I would ask, why in the world wouldn't you want to be? Right? That's really the best question. Why wouldn't you want to be? All the longings of our heart can never be fulfilled by willfulness. And it's in Christ that we begin to experience the life and the power of God. The way I like to say it is that it will do in us and then through us what we could never, ever do on our own. So why wouldn't people jump at the chance to become a believer in Jesus? As we shift into celebrating to the Lord's Supper, I'd like to read to you a prayer written with these verses in mind by Susan Leatherwood, our administrative coordinator. She's been such a blessing to our staff. Uh, She comes up with these prayers. She'll sit and write, consider, meditate, and write these amazing prayers. We take turns doing devotionals at our staff meetings. And when she gives hers, we're always just so impressed. So listen to this prayer. If you want to close your eyes and just think or listen, that would be great. It's called Divine Interruption. She says this, Dear Lord, in one brief moment, two young people suddenly had their lives turned upside down, both deeply steeped in their Jewish faith. Mary and Joseph are both unexpectedly given a choice to accept or reject your will. Knowing full well the purpose 
the possible, sorry, the possible backlash and humiliation it could bring to them and their families if they accepted. But what we are told, Lord, is that they did not hesitate to say yes. Well, maybe Joseph a bit. Yes, they said to your will in their lives. What was that moment really like for them, Lord, when Joseph and Mary spoke together for the very first time after each was visited by your messenger? Were they excited? Did they sit together and hold hands, eagerly sharing all that they were told? Did they spend time daydreaming about how their lives would be as parents of the Savior? Or were they frightened of the unknown future that lie ahead? I suspect both. After all, Lord, they were just two ordinary people like me. Did they realize at that moment, that shared moment, that what they were being asked would change the world forever? God preparing them to be the doorway for our Emmanuel. And what of us, Lord? For our Emmanuel has come. Are there doorways you wish to use us for? as Mary was the doorway to usher in our Savior. Are we too to be doorways to usher in your love into the world? Are we your children who know you guilty of keeping you neatly tucked away in our hearts behind closed doors? Forgive us, Lord. We humbly acknowledge the time is well past due for us to toss open the doors of our hearts allowing your precious and unconditional love to once again flow freely through us. Show us, Lord, in this present time as we celebrate your entrance into our fallen world, that as you sent your messengers, Mary and Joseph, you send your Holy Spirit to us. Help us, Holy Spirit, in the quietness of our moments shared to hear your call as Mary and Joseph heard. Help us to quickly respond and say yes without fear of what lie ahead. Teach us to seek you each day and to listen for and eagerly await your divine interruptions in our lives. Help us to be willing to listen for your invitation and say yes, knowing that our response, we will find peace. May Emmanuel live in us and not we live, but Christ our Savior. Live in us and show himself in us and through us. Help us to, help us, Lord, to freely proclaim Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Beautiful prayer. As we shift into communion, do we have... Uh, elements. If you don't have elements with you, raise your hand. Someone will bring them to you. But remember, we tear off the top, and there's that wafer, and then we remove the to the cup. I struggle with these. 
like I do with masks. There's that. Or you bend it up. I don't know. You'll get it. You'll get it. Some of us in the room today are carrying burdens. And I would say most of our burdens, I would be one of those people, most of our burdens are self-imposed. Most of them have to do with our inadequacies, our failures. I have these moments driving along in the car or whatever on a bike ride, and I think of some really dumb things I've said over the years. How I've hurt people. My kids, my wife, my friends, by being reactive instead of responsive most of the time. And so those are burdens that, that lodge in our heart. And I want us to know that as we come to the table today, to remember that this is a place to lay those burdens down. And what I would say is keep laying those burdens down as long as they exist until you find freedom in that. Some of us have been sinned against. That's a thing too. That's not easy to get over that. It's not easy to lay that down and find complete freedom in that. But I would say from a humble place, continue to ask God to set you free. As we remember Jesus, let us also remember that the new covenant of His blood was given for the forgiveness of sins. So I'm going to pray over the elements, and then we will partake together if I can get mine open. Let's pray. Lord, as I prayed, <clears throat> excuse me, up front, I would say we don't really get it. And everybody in this room, everybody watching online, we're at a little different place of seeing, of understanding, of having the eyes of our heart enlightened so that we know that we know that we know what is the hope of your calling. And Lord, as we celebrate your broken body and your shed blood, I pray for continued insight. I pray for continued understanding. I pray that you would take away the burdens, so many of which are self-imposed, and even those that have suffered at the hands of others, that you would lessen that burden. I pray that a spirit of humility would characterize our church, that we would humbly engage with one another, that we would listen well, that we would love well, that we would disagree agreeably. And Lord, you have a new path for many of us, 
you have a new path for our church as we gear up for this next season of life and ministry. And Lord, we would say to you, we really, really, really want to hear from you. We want to discern your will for our lives, our spouse, our families, our extended family, for our church, for our country. Help us to see. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.